I will go into the altar of God, to God who gives joy to my youth. Do me justice, O God, and fight my fight against a faithless people. Rescue me from the wicked and deceitful man. For many years, with the pseudo-promulgation of the new Mass by Paul VI, Catholics were told that the true Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, was forbidden. Then, quite suddenly, in 1984, John Paul II, in an apparent reversal, granted what was called an indult. That is, under certain conditions, a modified version of the traditional Latin Mass, the so-called Mass of John the 23rd of 1962, could be celebrated in dioceses with the approval of the local bishop under certain conditions. I'm Julius Smetona. This is what Catholics believe. With the promulgation of the indult, many conservatively oriented Catholics were overjoyed. Some even went so far to hope for the establishment of a traditional ordinariate within the conciliar church. Should their joy be tempered? Was the indult a ploy, a political tool which had behind it a hidden sinister agenda? Finally, how should faithful Catholics regard this development? With me today to discuss the indult mass are true priests who remain loyal to the traditions and say the traditional Latin Mass exclusively. Father William Jenkins, pastor of St. Teresa of the Child Jesus Church in Parma, Ohio, and Father Clarence Kelly, spiritual director of St. Joseph's Novitiate in Round Top, New York, a congregation of traditional Roman Catholic nuns. Fathers, how is it that suddenly after perhaps 14 bitter, rancorous, and divisive years of Catholics being told that the traditional Latin Mass was forbidden, it did not fulfill one sudden Sunday obligation, suddenly in what truly appeared to be a reversal, John Paul II issued an indult that under certain conditions the faithful could have the true Mass. What prompted this? I believe what prompted it was the recognition that the aggressive, uh, condemnatory policy had not worked with most people who were attending the traditional Mass. That over those years, they tried very hard by threat of excommunication and so forth to abolish the true worship. And they finally recognized that they were not able to succeed to the extent that they would like to succeed and so they instituted the policy whereby the traditional mass would be permitted. And uh, this is quite evident. They did it in order to draw people away from the mass centers and chapels and churches where traditional priests were saying the mass. Mm -hmm. What were the conditions which were stipulated in the original indult and then once it filtered down to the level of the National Conference of Bishops, what were any additional uh, restrictions and criteria that the bishops applied to the celebration of the so-called indult mass? Father Jenkins. Well, an indult is uh, the granting of some type of particular privilege contrary to the general law. 
And so the very idea that it was called an indult mass implies that it is still like an exception to the law and was granted because of some particular circumstance. The circumstance, of course, was that there was still a vociferous number of Catholic people who uh, wanted the traditional mass. And, uh, of course, this posed problems in the parishes because these people were very conservative. And uh, they uh, always exercised a certain amount of uh, unwanted uh, uh, militancy for the reforms, so-called, and the liberalization of the parishes. And so the idea is, what do we do with these people? We want to keep our hold on them, but at the same time, uh, we, we want to contain them. And so the idea was, we'll, we'll give them a Latin Mass here or a Latin Mass there. This will keep them uh, on, on the line, like fish on the line. And uh, at the same time, we'll isolate them so they won't be spreading their, their traditional Catholic views around too much and won't be making trouble in all the different parishes. So uh, the idea worked. It worked like a net. It brought a lot of conservative Novus Ordo Catholics together and uh, kind of kept them, kind of babysat them for a little while. But uh, obviously the restrictions uh, were such as to try to contain the, the desire for the traditional Mass so that it wouldn't become a conflagration. And so uh, the people who wanted the traditional Mass had to... Uh, well, I have to be careful what I say here. I say traditional Mass. What they were permitted to use was the, the Mass with all of the changes introduced by John the Twenty-Third up until 1962. So this was an early form of the new Mass, the Novus Ordo Mass. People who go to the 1962 Latin Mass with all the changes of John the Twenty-Third might say, well, it's essentially the same as the old traditional Latin Mass. But it isn't. And the reason it isn't is because there were changes made that might be very subtle to some people, might even be totally unnoticeable to many people. But nonetheless, the changes are there. And the reasons why those changes were made were the very same reasons which later gave rise to the new Mass entirely of the vernacular with all of its, all of its uh, aberrations. You see, the early changes in the Mass, late 50s, early 60s, put in place the principles through which the, uh, the revolution of the liturgy was going to take place. So the idea was it was very important for the authorities who were going to let people have the Latin again, nonetheless insist that they had to use the 1962 changes at least so that the principles of the liturgical revolution would still be in, in, in place with them then there couldn't be any advertising. You couldn't go around and whip up support for it. Uh, they wanted to keep it to a minimum, uh, the number of people who would attend it and would show support for it. Also, the people who had to, uh, <coughs> the people who wanted this had to fill out petitions requiring, uh, or requesting, I should say, that this uh, 1962 version of the Novus Ordo be uh, permitted once a month or uh, in some cases, very limited cases, once a week in the diocese, usually in a non-parish church in the afternoon on Sundays. And uh, also, they had to admit that the Novus Ordo Missae, the new Mass of Paul VI, was perfectly acceptable and Catholic in every way. Doctrinally sound. Right, right doctrinally sound. They, they had to say that they didn't have any 
problems with that mass. They just preferred the Latin uh, of 1962 as a kind of matter of taste with them. And so, of course, in, in agreeing to all of that, uh, these people actually uh, gave away the store. Mm -hmm. uh, they, pulled, uh, they pulled out every single reason why a traditional Catholic would remain traditional. And they reduced their desire for the 1962 liturgy simply to a matter of their, their own personal preferences. My understanding is that they are not allowed to have weddings using the so-called indult mass or uh, many other sacraments. Uh, the confirmations are not in, to be done in the context of the uh, indult mass. And that, moreover, there seems to be, even with all these conditions, a tremendous resistance amongst the novus ordo clergy to the indult mass. Uh, in a triumph of investigative reporting, we were able to secure uh, the minutes of a Western United States diocesan meeting. And uh, I believe you saw this, and they had some interesting revelations where the priests felt very uncomfortable about it. They didn't see why they were doing it and so forth. What does this augur for the future of the indult mass, this, this resistance by the bishops? Well, the indult mass, uh, as revolutionary as it was anyway in 1962, still is redolent of the old faith, you know, the old Catholic faith. And many of these Novus Ordo clergymen do not want any vestige of the old faith. They want to destroy even the memory of the old faith, even that there was an old faith. As far as they're concerned, the, the church to which they belong began with Vatican II. And uh, when they quote popes or councils, they always go to Vatican II and they always go to John XXIII, Paul VI, John Paul I, or John Paul II, as though there were no other popes, as though there was no other council other than uh, Vatican II. And uh, they want to get, get rid of any, any even fragrance of the old faith, so they get rid of the statues, they throw out the altars and turn tables around to face the people, and uh, they, they tear out the old stained glass windows, which are so beautiful, and they put in these monstrosities, like smashed glass, uh, in, the, in the windows in their place. Um, anything of beauty has to go, and that means even the sound of Latin has to go which you find in the 1962 Indulgence. You see, their purpose was a kind of a subversive intent, but it very well may backfire on them because there is a certain intrinsic relationship between faith and worship. The way you worship is the way you believe, the way you believe is the way you worship. So you could conceivably offer this uh, modified version of the traditional mass to people. And some of those people may have their faith come alive. This thing, this policy is not in fact drawing many people away from traditional mass centers. What it is doing is it's drawing many Novus Ordo Catholics together in this particular context. And eventually I suspect that when they see this has not worked, as the hardball policy of the past has not worked, that they will abolish it. And perhaps many of those people will then in turn search out the true mass at some traditional mass center here or there. I've already heard reports of some major Western centers, uh, uh, very uh, 
uneasy type of report where this thing may soon bite the dust, as they say, where it'll, it'll no longer be available. One question, what, what would you recommend to Catholics regarding attendance of the adult mass? What are some of the actual moral problems of attending uh, the John the 23rd mass in a Novus Ordo church, which is used for the, the new mass most of the time? I would say, first of all, the problem is the problem of uh, ecumenism. For example, if you lived in a society which was opposed to Christianity, and they said you could worship Christ if you worshipped him as one of the gods. Let us say it was a, a society in which there was polytheism where they believed in many gods. And they said you cannot worship Christ if you insist that he is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, that there is only one God but you can worship him if you acknowledge that he is only one of many gods. Let us say, for example, uh, they offered this proposal and, and a person who claimed to truly believe in Christ accepted that. That would be a betrayal of uh, the faith, a betrayal of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so by way of analogy, we might say that to take true worship, to take the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and to put it into a context whereby one must accept as a given false worship. See, the, the new mass is false worship. It is sacrilegious. It is offensive to Almighty God. And so if you say to a person, I will let you worship in the true way as long as you put a seal of approval on false worship, you see, that would be a very bad thing. Oh, sure. And so to accept this indult mass uh, under that condition is to, in a certain sense, want to worship God and uh, to pay the price of betraying God. You're watching what Catholics believe. Uh, one of the problems I see with the indult mass is the following. Say that it would ha were to happen that the particular Novus Ordo mass were valid, that were being celebrated, and very often they have communion in the hand. Uh, particles of the, the host, the sacred host, may be uh, scattered on the ground, and uh, one goes in then to participate in the indult mass, one may very well be stepping on the, the precious body. What kind of a problem does that pose? Well, if I understood your question, you said that if the new mass were valid? Well, if a particular celebration of the new mass were valid and the transubstantiation actually took place, the priest had the intention, they used the right words and the, the matter, and yes, it were valid. And then the next day, they used the same building and edifice to celebrate the indult mass. Yeah. Then there's the you know probability or possibility that there are particles scattered about and one were walking, as it were, on them. Well, I would say, first of all, that it's almost certain that the new Mass is invalid, that there is no Mass there at all, mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. But uh, let us say, for example, if there were an indult Mass, and the, the priest who said the Mass were a true priest, which also presents a problem, because any priest ordained after 1968 would have to be considered a doubtful priest. They may not be priests at all. But let us assume it was a priest ordained before 1968, and he said the Mass, and he had the correct intention, and of course used the proper words of consecration, etc. And he consecrated a uh, ciborium and took that ciborium, that's the golden cup in which the consecrated hosts are placed, and he took that ciborium and put it into the tabernacle. You would have the reverse problem uh, in the sense that, let us say, then you had a new Mass, 
and the priest or minister at the new mass then used the hosts that were consecrated at the true mass, you see. And those hosts were treated with the same sacrilegious irreverence that is characteristic of the new mass. You would have a, a tragedy. And then, of course, if those hosts were to fall to the ground or particles, then you would have this terrible desecration. What is so that, that is a, a very serious problem. Yeah. But there is also another problem, which is the problem similar to what I mentioned before, which is a doctrinal problem. The Mass is the, uh, the perfect expression of the Catholic faith. You cannot enter into this worship with people who do not have the faith. And I think it's, it's clear and evident uh, that the overwhelming majority of people who attend services in what are called Catholic churches are not Catholic. They do not have the Catholic faith. They do not believe the Catholic faith. They have rejected it in one form or another. And you have a situation in which now you have true worship, assuming it's uh, you know, a validly ordained priest. You have this, uh, this true worship in the context of this new false religion, which is a terrible thing. Right. What is the, the Catholic view on communion in the hand? Uh, I believe St. Thomas Aquinas himself, Father Jenkins, said that only uh, consecrated hands should touch the host. And now it seems that, you know, women, everyone, we have extraordinary lay ministers, we have communion in the hand. What is wrong with communion in the hand? What is the teaching? Well, the consequence of it is that it breaks down all reference for the Blessed Sacrament. It breaks down belief in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, if you treat something holy in a holy way, um, obviously that inspires a certain uh, reverence for it. Remember when Moses was in the desert uh, minding his uh, father-in-law's sheep and he came across a bush that was burning and yet it was not consumed by the fire. And as he approached this wonder out in the middle of the desert, remember this is high desert now, there are very few of these bushes around, but he finds this bush and it's just a blaze of fire and yet it's not consumed. As he approached it, he heard a voice speak. It was the voice of God saying, Moses, remove your sandals, for the ground on which you are walking is holy ground. We treat things holy in a different way from which we treat things that are profane. And God was very, very hard with people in the Old Testament who would take something holy and treat it in a profane way, uh, the way the Ark of the Covenant was treated was with the greatest possible reverence. And even the slight reverence toward it was punished most severely by God. Well, now we have something infinitely greater than the Ark of the Covenant. We have our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, who is the New Testament. The New Testament in, is in his blood. And we have that present in the Blessed Sacrament. And to take that and to hand it out indiscriminately uh, to those who come and put their hands out, <coughs> excuse me, with no regard whatsoever for the particles of the host, each one of which is still contains the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, whole and entire, is the, just uh, absolutely abominable. It's a sacrilege, and in fact, so great a sacrilege, that the tra traditional Catholic Church uh, so punished irreverence toward the Blessed Sacrament, deliberate desecration of the Blessed Sacrament, that it automatically excommunicated anyone who was guilty of it in the most severe way possible. And that was an automatic excommunication from the faith, as I say, from the church. Mm. Uh, nowadays, all of that has been swept aside. And uh, <clears throat> the minister of the Mass, I hesitate to say priest, because we have no idea 
whether these men are, are validly ordained priests or not. Uh, we, the indications are that they are not. Uh, they go off and sit down uh, very often while the, the lay people get up and they distribute uh, whatever they have in that cup and uh, in their saboria. In fact, one of our traditional Catholics in Cincinnati is a man who was a lay distributor. And in the uh, early 70s and mid-70s, he used to be the one with the rest of them standing up there, you know, the body of Christ Jane, the body of Christ Bob, the body of Christ Bill. And uh, he was rather disturbed by what he saw because after they had finished satisfying all the members of the, of the congregation, uh, they took all of these chalices, still containing some of the wine, and they put them on a side table. And the priest didn't consume them. They weren't wash, washed or cleaned or anything of the kind. They were just all taken over with whatever they had left in them and, and set on a side table. So he used to go over there. He still had some faith left in him about the real presence. He used to go over to the side table and consume everything that was left until finally, not the priest, but the lay people who were in charge of the, the, the liturgy, the liturgical committee, hmm. told him that he couldn't do that anymore. So one day after Mass, he went back into the sacristy to see what became of the contents of those chalices. He found the minister of the Mass pouring them down the sink. Oh, boy. For him, that was the end. He, uh, he decided, and thank goodness, he still had enough faith left because that Novus Ordo Mass just wrings the faith right out of you. So you don't even react to sacrilege anymore. You see it happening all the time, and you don't even react anymore. But he had enough faith that left in him to go back to the traditional Mass and stay there. He knew where his home was. All right. What's the, there's a related issue with this adult Mass, and that was the establishment in 1988 of the so-called Society of St. Peter. What was the effect of this, and what do you think were its purposes? I think it was the same purpose in the establishment of the so-called Society of St. Peter as there was in the permission for the adult mass, that it was an attempt to undermine and to subvert the faith of Catholics on the one hand and the faith of young men who wanted to be priests. There is this desire to draw them into this, this new religion. And uh, as long as they would recognize the other gods, they will, be they will be permitted to worship their god. You know, the holy sacrifice of the mass is the, uh, the new the seal of the New Testament. Our Lord at the Last Supper used words very similar to the words used by Moses. In the Old Testament, Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant. Our Lord Jesus Christ at the Last Supper said, this is the cup of my blood of the new and eternal testament, which is shed for you and for many unto the remission of sins. The holy sacrifice of the Mass seals the covenant between the church and uh, Christ. And the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass preserves that covenant. And to take the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and put it into the context of this new false religion of the Second Vatican Council is itself a sacrilege against the truth as well as a sacrilege against the uh, Blessed Sacrament. You know, when the Romans would conquer, the ancient pagan Romans, when they conquered a new people, they would pacify that people by bringing home their gods and putting their gods in the pantheon with all their other gods. The attempt to bring the traditional mass into the, the new conciliar church is simply an attempt to do the same thing, to set Christ up with all of the other gods of ecumenism, to say, yes, we claim him too for ourselves. That is absolutely abominable. 
and uh, Catholics should not permit it. There can be no peace between God and Satan, between Christ and Belial, as the expression goes, uh, the pagan God. And there can be no peace between a true faith, one true faith, and this modern ecumenism, which uh, sees that everything is perfectly true and acceptable to God. And you can save your soul through any, any one of these modern religions. Well, that is the evil of trying to, to, to take this traditional mass and uh, bring it into the modern Reformed uh, conciliar setting. It just doesn't work. Real quickly, our last question. One of our viewers wrote with amazing candor that those who are trying to find the true mass in the new religion are dreamers and deluded. What would your advice be to these people who are looking with optimism toward the Society of St. Peter, toward the indult mass? What would you tell them? I would tell them that they have to wake up and recognize that, uh, as Father Jenkins said, there is no compromise between God and Satan. There is no compromise between our Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the false gods and demons. There can be no compromise between the true faith and false religion. That they are running after uh, an, an illusion, they're running after a dream, and that the sooner they recognize uh, the fact that this new religion uh, is what it is, they will then abandon these allurements and temptations of the devil to draw them into it. You've been watching what Catholics believe.